DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an Associate Professor and the Academic Dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California. He also serves as the Academic Advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is also the author of Hidden Mountain, Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we discuss the writings of St. Teresa of Avila, whose spiritual classic, The Way of Perfection, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. In the life of Teresa of Avila, she would go into her autobiography how the different waterings that will occur in our prayer. Do you, the, it was the four aspects. Do you want to speak about that? So, yeah, she's introduced this idea. Now, remember, this book that she's introduced is subject to the Inquisition at the time she's writing The Way, uh, The Way of Perfection. Uh, what she introduces there is the water, this desire for God, as she's calling it, in The Way of Perfection. She also called it the devotion of our heart. And she said the heart is like a garden with a well that is in it. And it's an enclosed garden. And as an enclosed garden, the heart or the soul is meant to be a place where Jesus comes to refresh himself. But for Jesus to come and really be comfortable there, there needs to be some beautiful flowers in our garden or at least some green shrubbery so that it's actually pleasant for him to be in our hearts. And I like to think about this image. Uh, I have a heart overgrown with a lot of weeds and wild plants. And then all of a sudden I hear, uh, well, I'm thinking about my backyard right now. A friend's going to be coming over. Oh, I better clean up my garden. So I go and I uh, pull out the weeds and and I I might go down to the gardening center and buy some flowers and plant some flowers. so So it's actually pleasant for my friend to come into my backyard and sit and talk. That's what the attitude that Teresa of Avila invites us to have about our own hearts. That this It's an enclosed garden. We don't want weeds in there. We want beautiful flowers. So how do we grow beautiful flowers and plants in our hearts? The beautiful flowers and plants, of course, in our hearts that the Lord enjoys are our virtues. So how do we grow virtues in our hearts? And she says, you need to throw the bucket. The bucket is your effort to pray. You need to throw the bucket into the the depths of the well and work hard to pull up a little bit of water so that the flowers can grow. The bucket represents our efforts and you throw it into the depths of your heart to pull up devotion for the Lord. And so you kind of got to work hard on these spiritual exercises. She says she recommends two chief spiritual exercises, which she also references at least one of them at the beginning of this chapter 19. One of the things you can do that she references in 19 is you can think about the life of Christ. In chapter 19, in the way, she actually virtually describes the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, which is a uh, the long retreat, is four weeks of thinking about the life of Christ and meditating on different realities 
uh, like the realities of heaven and hell and how swiftly life passes and have you made a decision to follow Christ? All of these things are part of the long retreat. And she says that souls that are able to do this, this is great. And so she, but she has already recommended this also in, in her life. Although there she's, she doesn't refer to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius so directly. She refers in a more general way to practices that she had already cultivated. She would spend an hour every night putting herself in the garden of Gethsemane with Jesus in his agony. And she would just wait with him for an hour and she would experience with him the anxiety he had for the salvation of the world. She'd experience with him his loneliness. She'd experience with him his desire that the cup might pass, but she would also experience with him his desire that the Father's will might be done. And she'd just sit with those things. The reality of sitting with that, with the Lord in that, she might imagine the olive trees in that garden and the rock and the sweat on Jesus' face becoming blood. She might imagine all of that with Jesus. And in doing that, she's sanctifying her imagination and and her mind, and she's allowing holy ideas to wash through her, her mind and cleanse her heart. Well, this is a very important thing to do. She says this water of devotion in the way of perfection is in fact cleansing. The other thing she recommends, she doesn't go so much into it in chapter 19, but she recommends also the idea of going back through your life and kind of examining your memories. And what you can do is, is you go through your memories, you have, all of us have memories where God seems to be especially close to us. We might remember, for example, our first communion or our confirmation, our wedding day. We also have moments that we're listening to the Lord in our memories where he's difficult to find. Those memories of terrific disappointments or catastrophic tragedies where sorrow suddenly overwhelmed us or we acted in a way that completely betrayed who we were. The reason to go through these memories isn't to wallow in the past or to beat ourselves up over what could have, should have, might have happened. The reason to go there is to ask the question, Lord, where were you in this? How were you present to me? How were you being faithful to me when I wasn't being faithful to you? I want to thank you, Lord, for the way you were present in this memory that you you seem so hard. I don't even, I didn't feel you at the time. I was very far from you, and yet you were close to me. Help me find you. When you do this, you're actually, you're kind of sanctifying your memory. You're allowing the Lord to reveal himself, to manifest himself, and his faithfulness to you all along the way. Stirs in your heart a kind of holy gratitude. When you do these things, whether you're thinking about the life of Christ or you're thinking about your own life, you are drawing water from the well, says St. Teresa. It's the hardest water to draw. It takes the greatest amount of determination and perseverance because it just it's a lot of effort to water your plants in this way. But as you do this, as you get practiced in these techniques of prayer, you will notice that your soul develops some spiritual muscles. And the spiritual muscles that you develop make prayer easier and easier to do. You find yourself more readily turning your thoughts to the Lord, less resistant to him. 
when that begins to happen, you're moving from drawing water from the well to what she says is like having a pump. So she speaks about a prayer of recollection. And she's going to be talking about that same kind of prayer of recollection uh, in this work way of perfection. But recollected prayer is where you are able to attend to his holy presence. Uh, One of my favorite stories about this holy presence, this prayer of recollection, is uh, the story of uh, Andrei Borosevich Bloom. He was a young Russian immigrant in Paris who had resolved to kill himself, went to a talk by a priest, said, okay, I'm going to kill myself after I disprove Christianity. And so to disprove Christianity, he found his family Bible. He said, I picked the shortest gospel, and I was going to read it, and I was going to write a refutation, and then I was going to kill myself. That was his plan. Well, he began to read the Gospel of Mark. And as he read the Gospel of Mark, he said, I noticed there was a presence, a personal presence in the room with me. The presence wasn't condemning me. It wasn't accusatory. It was a very kind presence, a gentle presence. And so I was drawn to it. As I was drawn to it, I began to connect that presence with the Jesus of Nazareth whom I was reading about in the Gospel of Mark. And so that began a conversation with the Lord, a conversation that would lead me to renounce the plans that I'd made and repent of them, a conversation that would lead me to embrace his orthodox faith, a conversation that led him actually to become a, a, a monk. And so during World War II, he was a an orthodox monk, but he was also a physician who was uh, treating people for battle wounds and things like that. And then from being a monk to become a priest after the war, and from becoming a priest to becoming the first metropolitan archbishop of the Orthodox Russian Orthodox Church in Paris. He eventually became an Oxford Don and wrote a book called Beginning to Pray. And in that book, Beginning to Pray, talked about this experience that, that he had. was that We call that kind of prayer recollection. You become aware of the presence of God as you turn your attention to this presence. It's not that you always feel it like he did, but you turn your attention to this presence by faith, whether or not you feel it. And you find all the capacity of your soul, all the strength of your soul resting in that presence. It's called recollection. You are, in fact, the powers of your soul are collected upon the presence of God, are recollected in the presence of the risen Lord who has come to you, who is present to you right now. This kind of prayer, the first kind of prayer that was you pulled up water from the well, and the second kind of prayer where you kind of have a pump, a windlass, she, she says, so that prayer, drawing water from the well is easier. We call these kinds of prayers ascetical grades of prayer, and she's going to spend a few chapters now. She, she's going to introduce kind of ascetical grades of prayer here in 19, and she's going to talk about vocal prayer She's going to talk about these spiritual exercises that you can do. And then she's going to shift and talk about another kind of prayer that she discovered. Because as beautiful as recollection is, this isn't the highest degree of prayer. It is simply a kind of prayer that makes space for something exquisite and beautiful 
that God wants to do in the soul. This thing that God wants to do in the soul is so gentle and subtle that uh, she calls it the prayer of quiet. If in recollection, the prayer of recollection, the energies of your soul are kind of resting in God, in this prayer of quiet that she wants to lead us to, and she spends a lot of her book talking about this prayer of quiet, in this prayer of quiet, there's a way in which that rest is deepened. In her life, she says, the, as if she describes this prayer of quiet, it's as if uh, God has kind of put a canal system in your soul. And now you're not so much having to pump water up anymore or draw it up uh, with a bucket. Now it's kind of like his presence This holy devotion just flows through and floods your soul when God wants to flood your soul. In the life, prayer of quiet leads to what she calls a sleep of the faculties, another image of prayer, where it's a little bit difficult for you to think. It's a little bit difficult. You're just extremely aware of his presence to you. It's also in this prayer of quiet where uh, your devotion is this holy devotion is flooding your soul in the way of perfection. She see this desire for God, this thirst for God floods your soul. It's in this, in her life, she introduces the idea that the same time this water is flooding your soul, a new kind of prayer begins, this prayer of quiet, and it begins as a little spark. Now, a spark gives off a little bit of light, you notice it, and then it quickly goes away. So you're not really, it doesn't light things up yet, and it doesn't warm anything. It just kind of lets you know it's there. And she says, one little spark of this prayer achieves much more than anything that you accomplished when you were drawing water from the well or pumping water from the well. All the virtues that seem to grow up at that time are nothing compared to the growth that's going to happen in your soul now. Because this new work of God in your soul is that powerful. In the way of perfection, she wants to develop this new kind of prayer more. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, which is a 501c3 fully tax-deductible nonprofit organization dedicated to evangelization and spiritual formation through the use of new media. Discerning Hearts creates engaging multimedia specializing in podcasts and radio broadcasts, faithful to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and its rich, authentic spiritual tradition. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to support our efforts. We charge nothing for any of the programs that are available on Discerning Hearts, and our outreach is literally to the world. Please tell a friend about Discerning Hearts and either download our free apps, which are available at iTunes and Google Play stores, or visit discerninghearts.com. Intimate and Transformative Prayer St. Teresa, you have said, Whoever has not begun the practice of prayer, I beg for the love of the Lord not to go without so great a good. There is nothing here to fear, but only something to desire. 
And if one perseveres, I trust then in the mercy of God, who never fails to repay anyone who has taken him for a friend. For mental prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him, who we know loves us. In order that the love be true and the friendship endure, the wills of the friends must be in accord. On September 27, 1970, Pope Paul VI proclaimed Teresa a doctor of the church. In his address, the Pope celebrated Teresa's gift of spiritual doctrine, a fact underlined by the title written on her statue in the Basilica in Avila, Mater Spiritualium, the Mother of Spirituality. She certainly merits this title. Her writings are not theoretical abstracts, but concrete lessons drawn from her own experience and interaction with the divine. In entering the struggle of spiritual growth, she came to discover some very important truths about the process of prayer, the truth of God, and the realization of self in this context. She realized in a very real and personal way Jesus' words, I call you friends. Learning from Teresa, let us make ample space for prayer, taking time and having the courage to open ourselves to all of the possibilities that lie open to us when we enter this deep and profound relationship, including our own transformation in God and his love. O God, who through your spirit raised up St. Teresa of Jesus to show the church the way to seek perfection, grant that we may always be nourished by the food of her heavenly teaching and fired with longing for true holiness. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. She goes on in her life to describe a final kind of water for the soul that uh, is a very important image of prayer. And it's, it's a kind of water that comes when you are more perfectly united to God in a kind of a, a, a transforming union, or it's unit of prayer. This spark represents what we call in spiritual theology the beginning of mystical prayer. Mystical prayer is a work of God in you. It's not so much your efforts anymore. It's something that God is able to produce in you because you've made space for him to produce it. And it starts out as a little spark, but then it can become a candle flame, a single little flame. And that little flame lights things up. It's kind of illuminative. Your spiritual life is kind of proficient as this flame is blown. This is where uh, she uses this little flame to describe what's going on with the sleep of the faculties. The spark, your spirit is begins to rest more. This little flame, you actually, the sleep of the faculties, you are so absorbed in the presence of God, you're not even able really to think. Spiritual exercise sizes, uh, meditation, so forth, become more difficult for you because you're so you're so captivated by the presence of God and his beauty in your life. This flame gives way to a kind of fire, a bonfire, you might say, that burns in your heart. Elizabeth of the Trinity would say, a furnace of love that is ignited in you, and it doesn't go away. And not only does it give off light like the 
a candle would, but more light, and it also gives off warmth, the warmth of charity, the warmth of holy friendship. This unitive, mystical way of prayer that God wants all of us to enjoy. Not all of us come to enjoy it, and most of us resist it for various reasons, but when we receive the gift of this, when we say yes to it, it enlightens and warms up the whole world. Uh, and, And it's this where Teresa of Avila wants to lead her sisters, because if they can become light and warmth in the heart of the church, it will give the preachers and the teachers the grace they need to speak with the conviction and the confidence and the trust in God. They present the truth, and that's what will win the hearts of people who maybe are, are lost right now and don't have an answer. This last water she describes then uh, with the bonfire is rain, a rainfall, and a gentle rainfall waters the flowers much better than all the buckets of water that you pulled up before. The virtues explode under this. And in this work, starting in this, she begins to talk about this relationship, this curious relationship that she brought up in her life. Now she's going to explore it a little bit more. The relationship between this water and fire. What is this water that it doesn't quench the fire? And what is this fire that burns the brighter, has this has this water inundates the soul what is this curious relationship and in 19 she she kind of says well the water is your desire for god and the fire is his love burning in you the more you desire him the more this fire will burn there's so much there anthony i mean even in that the humanness the the very real teresa is trying to figure that out in her head she'll say i don't know how else to explain it but just that is the way it is. Maybe it's like when you put pitch on a fire and by throwing water on it, it only makes it burn brighter. I mean, we kind of have that with electricity. I mean, you try to throw something that's on fire or grease fire and you throw water on it, it only makes it it burn. She's trying to sort that out because it's a very real occurrence mm. that almost wants us to articulate it, and yet we can't articulate it. Mm. Yeah, One of the beauties of mystical theology as a whole and Catholic theology just in general, to really explore these things, you come into these paradoxes. And this particular paradox is a paradox of images or metaphors that she's trying to use for prayer, this deep ache for God that allows his fire to burn more in you. Uh, It's it's rich, a rich imagery that she's trying to bring together. Also, though, in the same chapter, she uses something else. She introduces something that's not in her life that I think is just an amazing image. She says, you know, in the beginning of the spiritual life, she said, well, for for a lot of souls, the exercises of St. Ignatius really works for them, and that's great. But there are a few souls out there that are like wild horses, and so they try to do these meditations and the Ignatian exercises, and their imagination, it, it's just all over the place. They go here, they go there, and they just can't keep that horse on the trail. It's not going to go where it's supposed to go. So what do you do when you have a wild horse? And the problem isn't only that you just have this wild horse, it's worse. You have a horse, and this wild horse is your imagination and your memory and, and your intellect, in your affections, they they want to go all over the place. You have this wild horse. You need to get 
to water. You're thirsty. And this wild horse that you have that's supposed to be taking you over to quench your thirst, it won't go there because it's just going all over the place. And so in the beginning of the spiritual life, you spend a lot of time mastering this wild horse. And then if that wasn't enough, so if you finally master the horse, then the the other thing that you have to contend with is it's a long way from where you're at to where that water is. It's a long, the journey to Christ is not a easy, simple one-two journey. I mean, he gives you consolations. He encourages you on the way. He doesn't abandon you, but it takes a lot of determination and perseverance. So first you got to master yourself, kind of learn to discipline yourself. Then you got to persevere and be determined to make it to the water. And then on your way to the water, all along the way from the very beginning as you're making progress and then you're almost at the water you're confronted with enemies of the spiritual life that try to discourage you try to make you turn back and some people are almost at the water they've overcome the horse they've traveled the great distance they're almost at the water and they get so discouraged by the enemy that they turn back and they're just a couple steps from the water how do we persevere how do we tame this horse cross the desert and get to the water and not be discouraged by our enemy so that we can finally find this water that will quench our thirst, this living water that is Christ, this spiritual water. She said the reason why this water doesn't extinguish the fire is because it's spiritual water. Only spiritual water can make spiritual fire burn the more. And so we need the spiritual water. But we have a lot to overcome between with the wild horse, the great distance, and the enemy who's trying to stand between us and the water. And she wants to, in these chapters, kind of paint a way for us to go forward. So for those of you who've tried Ignatian exercises and they just didn't work for you because you just couldn't couldn't be disciplined enough about putting yourself in what St. Ignatius invites you into. And your poor spiritual director during the exercise just said, you know, I don't know what to do with you. Realize that Teresa of Avila, she had sisters just like you. And this work was written just for you. It's a work written for souls that have to tame the horse, cross the desert, and confront enemies so that you can get your thirst quenched. Mm, Beautiful. You know, I, I couldn't help it while you were going through that. I, I was remembering Elizabeth of the Trinity in Heaven and Faith, where she just very simply says, remain in me. Mm-hmm. Just remember, remain in me. I mean, she'll focus on that. Don't think that you're alone, that I'm right here. She's reminding us. And she says, don't forget, I'm with you because of your baptism. I am in you. Remain with me. Mm-hmm. And so that is what help. Don't despair. Keep persevering. Go for it. Good. So that's quite beautiful. And I, I think that's a powerful connection to make. Elizabeth of the Trinity, of course, was very influenced by Teresa of Avila and this work, Way of Perfection, in particular. It would make sense that some of the doctrine that we find in Elizabeth of the Trinity would be an echo of these ideas put forth by St. Teresa of Avila. Indeed, we do need to remain in him. We do need to persevere and be determined and that God is going to honor our perseverance and determination if we don't give up. 
but it requires constant effort on our part, the effort of faith, the effort to believe, even in the face of our own weakness and our voids and our inadequacies, even if we're trying to get back on that wild horse, <laughs> um, we've got to believe in the greatness of God's love and that he's going to help us get through this desert to quench our thirst if we will trust in him. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to support our efforts. Most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.